Welcome to the Christian Ministry Church Podcast. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. Now for today's message by Pastor Paul Kern. Love our worship team. So grateful for our worship team. Sunday, when we were doing worship, I was just sitting there thinking, we have the best worship. We have the best worship. I mean, the best. And, and you know, the, the wonderful thing about our worship team, well, one of the many wonderful things about our worship team, <clears throat> all of the people that are on our worship team are genuinely striving to live out their walk with God and honor Him. And I just think that really makes it so much more impactful and um, encouraging because of that. I appreciate that about our leaders and our leadership and the people who are on our worship team. I know all of them, and, and I, for those of you who don't know all of them on a personal level, I just want to encourage you that they're, they're quality people that are really trying to live out their walk with the Lord. Amen? Well, we're in a series. Uh, this is chapter 2 of Ephesians. If you want to turn there, We're talking about the God kind of life this year, so we're going to be preaching a lot of sermons along uh, this avenue, and I want to talk uh, to you a little bit about that. This is going to be a preview of what I have planned for Sunday. So this is like I'm laying groundwork um, for what I want to talk about Sunday in the sermon. Sunday, we're going to talk about the the Zoe-led life, the Zoe-led life. And, and that's what we're talking about, this Zoe life, the God kind of life. Tonight, specifically, I'm going to talk a little bit about knowing God's will for your life, walking in the will of God for your life. Everybody wants to know God's will. Everybody wants to be in God's will. Okay, well, how do we do that? What does that look like? So if you are in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 1, and I'm reading from the... I believe the New Living Translation, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander and the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So Paul starts out by laying the groundwork for us that we were all lost, we were all subject to God's wrath because of our sinful nature, right? All of us are in trouble. All of us are born wrong. We're all born into darkness. And so we need to be born again. See, this is what chapter 2 is all about, this transformational process that happens in your life when you encounter Jesus. And so each one of us before Christ were under the power of sin. It controlled us. Sin controlled me. It dictated what I did. It was my boss, so to speak. It was my master. And... That was the life that I lived before I came to know Christ when I was 23 years old. Now, because of that, you couldn't know the will of God. And if 
the will of God was revealed to you, you wouldn't submit to it. Because you were rebellious, you were living in darkness, you were enemies of the cross, right? And we can, you know, tons of scriptures in Romans that we can look at, but this is what Ephesians is laying out for us. Now go to verse 4. But God, but God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ. He seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we were united with Christ Jesus. So, God can point to us, that's you and me, He can point to us in all future ages as examples of His incredible wealth of grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that He has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. You know, I remember being so lost, so lost, just a a terrible person. And God in His grace came to me in my bed on a hot August night when I was high on drugs. But in His goodness and His grace, He appeared to me and He said, if you don't change, you're going to be the next one to die. And I just had lost friends to drugs and alcohol. God didn't have to do that for me. I did not deserve that. There was nothing good about me at that time that deserved God to show me that kind of favor, but God did that anyway because God extended His grace to me. God extended His grace to you. Grace is unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. It's just like I'm... You ever had anybody do something nice for you? What'd you do that for? Just, just because. And we have such a hard time with that. Well, I mean... Well, here, uh, uh, can I take you to lunch? I mean, I mean um, do I need to give you some money? I mean, what do, uh, how can I repay you? And the fact of the matter is we can't repay it. But God did that so that he could demonstrate how rich his love and his grace and his mercy are toward us. And then it goes to start talking about the peace that Christ brings us. Well, yeah, I got immediate peace when, when I surrendered my life to Christ. Immediate. You know, Pastor Tim was preaching about this last Wednesday. He was talking about all these different things that people try to pursue to find God's peace in their life. Well, the problem is it's a spiritual problem. It can't be fixed with temporal things because it's, it's, it's an internal problem. Eternity is in our hearts and that's the, that is what God addresses when He appears to us and He shows His grace to us and we accept Christ in our life. Now, because of God's rich grace toward us, we have been united with the Lord, and now we can know and experience God's plan for us. See, now, now we, we can get the, the direction from God for our life. Does that make sense? So in verse 19... Verse 19, a few verses down, it says, we are no longer 
strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. Now, you know, if you were an immigrant and you were not a citizen and you became a citizen, this is profound because your life is completely changed, right? And so we have to understand this as we were of the world and now we are citizens of the kingdom. We've been grafted in. Everything's changed for us. Our associations have changed. Our input has changed. Our provision has changed. Everything about us has changed because of this encounter. And and we clearly see, look, verse 19 again, we are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. So we clearly see there is a real change that takes place in a person's life when they encounter Christ. In other words, you don't live like you didn't encounter him once you encounter him. You live different. When I encountered Jesus, alcohol was not an interest to me anymore. Drugs were not an interest to me anymore. Women were not an interest to me anymore. Stealing was not an interest to me anymore because All of those things, like Pastor Tim talked about last Wednesday, those were the things that I was pursuing to try to give me some sense of inner peace, of which none of them could accomplish, but then Jesus did it in just one instant, one moment in my bed all by myself. I wasn't at summer camp. I wasn't at a church. I wasn't at VBS. I mean, I was just lying in my bed and had an encounter with the Lord, high on cocaine, encountered Christ. And in that moment, in that moment, I was translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and the process of sanctification then begun, the renewing of my mind, the changing of how I think, so that God could lead me into Zoe life, Zoe life, the God kind of life, because I was living the devil's kind of life. I wasn't living God's kind of life, not, didn't even resemble it whatsoever, so, so we understand that being in God's will isn't just about professing Christ is Lord. It's not just a profession out of your mouth. It, it's literally you are translated out of darkness into light, right? You just live completely different. Look, look, at, look at animals and creatures that are in the bottom of the ocean in utter darkness. Have y'all ever seen them? They're terrifying. They're some of those terrifying creatures you've ever seen in your life. I mean, they go down and they video this stuff and they make horror movies based on what those fish look like. They're, They're terrifying because darkness shapes you. It influences you. It changes you in every way, and so does light. See, so does light. It says we don't live as those born in darkness. We live as those born native to the light. We've been translated into that kingdom. And so now because we've been brought into the light through grace, now we have a desire to know God's will, and we can know God's will. Not only do you have a desire to know it, You can know it. 
Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. See, through this, through this experience that we've had through Jesus. <clears throat> See, a true disciple has a strong, burning desire to live different. They just, they, they can't help it. It consumes them. Why? Because their nature has changed. See, once again, it's not just professing. You know, you have a moment and you profess. Why? Well, okay, repeat after me. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my Savior. I confess my sins. I confess my sins. <clears throat> and now your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. <clears throat> That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Yes, you do need to profess. You make your public profession, no doubt about it. <clears throat> well, let's look at a scripture just so I can back up what I'm saying. Go to Matthew chapter 7. True disciples, they have a different desire. They live different. They want to please God in all they do. And, and, and church, there's going to be a lot of shocked and disappointed people at the judgment of Christ. I can promise you that. There's going to be a lot of shocked and disappointed people at the judgment of Christ. Even Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. Narrow, narrow is the way that leads to life. Many will go the way, the wide way, the broad way. Few go the narrow way. So there's going to be a lot of shocked people. Matthew 7, 22, on judgment day, now Jesus is laying it out for us. He's filling us in. On judgment day, many will say to me, there's going to be a lot of people saying this, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name. Now, when, when we think of people like that, we're like, those are the heavy revies, man. That's God's big hitters. I mean, they're casting out demons and performing miracles and doing all this powerful, anointed, spiritual stuff. But you got to understand that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. I mean, my wife, when she was in Bible college, the leader of her Bible college, the man who founded it, he was a pastor. She was in Bible college. And, and one day they called all of the school and all of them together. And he got up in the pulpit and confessed that he had been spending time with prostitutes. And the whole school shut down, everything. But this guy could preach the paint off the walls, anointed, powerful. God was using him. People were getting saved. People were getting delivered. See, God doesn't take the gifts back from us. Oh, you sinned. I'm taking that back. That's not how God does things. But here's what Jesus said, verse 23, but I'm going to reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You who what? Break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds his house on solid rock. And even Jesus prayed in his prayer, Lord, not my will, but what? Your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this Zoe life is a life submitted to God. 
It's a translated life. It's a renewed life. It's a different life. In other words, when you get saved, you don't live like you didn't. You live different. Everybody knows it. Everybody sees it, right? You recognize that there, because there are what? Fruit. There's fruit in their life. So let's talk about the will of God for your life. Ephesians 2.10, you can go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself that way, but you need to start because you're God's masterpiece. I remember hearing a sermon preached one time and this this guy used an example. There was this there was this artist, and he had a hammer and a chisel in his hand, and he was chipping away at this big old ugly rock. I mean, just chipping away at this thing. And this man asked this artist, he says, "What are you doing, chipping away at that big old rock?" And he says, "I see an angel in this stone." and I'm trying to set it free. And I know for a lot of us, I mean, at least I know for me, boy, I probably was one of the ugliest rocks there were. But I'm so thankful that the master artist got a hold of my life, and now God considers you and me his masterpiece. See, and as we allow God's will to be accomplished in our lives, and we allow God's Word to transform our thinking, that masterpiece is more and more perfected each and every day. More is added to that masterpiece each and every day. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, listen to this, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago long ago. God had good things planned for me long before I was saved. I submit God had good things planned for me long before I was born. He knew me before I was in my mother's womb, the Scripture says. God has a predetermined plan for His children, a predetermined plan. And that plan is that we would be blessed and that we would prosper, and that we would fulfill His will. Now, that's up to us whether or not that happens, but that's God's heart. That's God's plan for us. Just like as a parent, you want your children to do well, and you want them to be blessed, that's your predetermined plan for them, right? But it's up to them whether or not they walk in that will, but that is your will. And that's God's will for us, that we walk in the blessings that He has for us. So it's very clear that God has a plan. He has a will for our lives. He's planned it out for us long, long ago. So what does that look like? Well, Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, what? Think. See, our thinking is very important to God because thinking has so much to do with identity, and identity has so much to do with transformation, and transformation is going to affect how you live and the fruit 
that you bear in your life. And it's, it goes on to say in Romans 12, 2, it says, then, listen to this, it'll change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, I remember when I was so much younger and my mom got turned on to the Lord and um, she drugged me to some of these different Bible studies and stuff. At least that's what I felt like she was doing, you know, to get me to go. And I had in my mind that if I were to give my life to God, I was going to be very unhappy because I couldn't do anything. It was going to be all these do's and don'ts in the Bible that I'm going to have to do. And I didn't even know what all the do's and don'ts were. I, and, and I just felt like there was a whole lot more don'ts than do's. And so for me, that was so confining and it, it was like entrapment. No, that's horrible. I'm going to have to do a whole bunch of stuff that I don't want to do. And not only that, I'm probably going to end up having to go to Africa and live out in the jungle and eat slugs or something. No, I don't want to do any of that. But see, what does it say here? Romans 12, 2, God's will for you is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Now, I wish I hadn't waited until I was 23 to figure this out. Had I got it when I was nine it would have been a whole lot better, but I was stubborn. See, God's will for you is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. In other words, God's will is meant to make your life better. You're gonna, when you're in God's will, you're going to experience more freedom, more joy, more peace than you ever have in your whole life. And trust me, I've tried it. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not making it up. Because... If I had experienced more joy, more peace, more power in my life when I was living in darkness and doing things of darkness, what would I still be doing? That. I wouldn't have translated over here and done this if it was worse. It's not worse. It's so much better. Now, we all know this, it's, but it's important that we understand and recognize what God has done in our lives. In other words, God's will for you is not negative. It's not negative. God's, God's will for us is not a bunch of you shall not this and you shall not that. You know, don't smoke this, don't drink that, don't hang out with those people, don't let your hair grow out long, you know, don't, you know, wear a bathing suit, don't dance, don't, no. Now, churches have made it that. They've made it all about that. Don't, 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 don't. That, that, but that's not God's will for us. Jesus came to free us. He came to free us. God's will for you is positive. It's not negative. And any, any religious exercise that you do in your life that does not bring you into greater freedom, you need to pay attention to that because it's probably not God. Fasting will bring you into greater freedom. Prayer will bring you into greater freedom. Abstaining from sin sinful desires will bring you into greater freedom. See, anything that you do, that's what God does for us. 
God's will for your life is for you to live a life that's pleasing to God. That's God's will for your life. I remember um, years ago, I, was, I had a truck for sale. I used to kind of go through trucks kind of quick. Didn't keep cars very long. Drove my poor wife crazy. But I had a truck for sale, and um, this guy was interested in it. And so I met with him, and we negotiated the price. And, um, and he, he asked me, he said, so I want to buy this truck, but would you write on the bill of sale that you're selling it for this much, and it was thousands of dollars less than what I was asking, would you write on the bill of sale that you would sell it for this much instead of what I'm actually buying it for because I don't want to have to pay a whole lot of sales tax? And my answer to him was, absolutely not, I can't do that. And the, the reason that I told that guy absolutely not, I cannot do that, was not because I was concerned about getting caught by the authorities or the system. It was not because of what people might think about me. The reason that I told him no is because that was absolutely repugnant to me that I would displease God in such a way of telling a lie. No, I, that, that's not what I want to, because I want to be in God's will. How much money is worth it to you to get out of God's will? 50,000, 100,000, a million, a billion? If somebody came to you and offered you a billion dollars and said, I'll give you a billion dollars, all you have to do is, is get out of God's will. Would that be worth it to you? Well, obviously, church, it would not be worth it to you because even if you spent all that money in your lifetime, when you die, that's it. You're going to stand before God. And then you're going to have to give an account for your life. See, it's pleasing God and being in God's will. That's what's important to us because we have been translated out of darkness through God's rich, marvelous grace. We've been brought into the kingdom of light, and now we can experience peace with God, and we can be blessed in our relationship with Him. Go with me to John 15. John 15. You'll recognize this passage. John 15, verse 1. I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. You've already been pruned and purified by the message that I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may, may ask for anything that you want, it'll be granted you. And when you produce much fruit, you are my 
true disciples. And this brings great joy to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, when we abide in Him, there is a peace, there is a power, there is a joy that God brings into our life. Now, when, we th- when a lot of people think about the will of God, here's the problem and here's what they get hung up on. Okay, I want to be in God's will. I want to know God's will. So when, when we start thinking about God's will, we start thinking about temporal things. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? What kind of job am I going to have? Who, what college am I going to go to? What's going to be my career path? How much money am I going to make, right? We, we kind of think about these things when we start thinking about the will of God. God's, but, but here's the thing about God's will. God's will is not I-centered. God's will is Him-centered. What did Jesus say? Thy kingdom come... Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose kingdom and whose will? The Father, right? Not Jesus, the Father. Now, it was Jesus because Jesus and the Father are one, and Jesus, His heart's desire is to please His Father at all cost. But God's will is not I-centered, it's Him-centered. Matthew 6, 33. This a very familiar passage, Matthew 6.33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek first the kingdom of God and what? Help me. In His righteousness and all these things. What kind of job am I going to get? When am I going to meet my mate? How much money am I going to make? Where am I going to live? What's going to be my career path? All of those things, all the things that we concern ourselves with on a daily basis, the Bible says if we will put God's kingdom in pursuing right living with God first, what will God do? He'll take care of all that stuff. See, He'll, he'll, he'll cover all of that for you. And what that does is that brings you into a place of great peace because you're not wringing your hands and worried about all these things that we tend to worry about. And that's what we get so caught up on when we start thinking about God's will. Well, God, where do you want me to live? And what do you want me to do? And who do you want me to marry? And God's like, what I want you to do is I want you to focus on being in the center of my will. I'll bring the person that I want you to marry. I'll reveal the job that I want you to have. I'll open the door for that provision in your life. I'll give you direction for the next step. Are we seeing this? See, when we make living God's way our focus, all these other things that God already knows that we have need of, they fall into place. And really, if you think about it in your own life, all of those things that we're so, we get so concerned about and worried about, as a believer, as you look back, 
Who did it? God did it. God did it. John 6, 38. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. That's the Zoe life. That's the God kind of life. Our, our goal every day is to wake up and to say, God, I want to do your will today. Well, okay, well, what does that look like? looks like him in how you treat people, in how you handle your money, in how you think, in how you interact, in all that you do every single day. That should be our heart's attitude. I want to close with a statement or a quote, I guess, from President John F. Kennedy. You'll recognize this because it's a famous quote by him. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We need a little bit of that today, don't we, in our country. But the reason that he said that is because that's what an American citizen ought to think. That's what an American citizen, that ought to be their heart. Not what can my country do for me, but what can I do to make my country a better place? See, so many people, they come to America because they're looking for America to give them something. But the mentality ought to be, what can I do as a citizen of America to make this place an envy of all the world where everybody wants to come? How can I make a contribution there? And likewise, the heart cry of every child of God living the God kind of life ought to be, Ask not what God can do for you, but what will you allow God to do through you? See, that's what a, that's what a kingdom-minded citizen of heaven looks like. It doesn't look like, well, God, I, you know, bring me this and bring me that and do this for me and line this up for me and make up. No, 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 no. If you'll make doing, see, you were saved for a reason. You were translated out of darkness into light for a reason, and that reason is so that you can fulfill the will of the Father. The will of the Father. And that, and that will can be accomplished through you being an auto mechanic. That will can be accomplished through you being a stay-at-home mom. That will can be accomplished by you being a dentist or a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician even a lawyer or a politician, believe it or not, or a used car salesman. It doesn't matter. That can be accomplished. But that, that is, that is the, the heart cry and the transformational change that happens when we're translated out of darkness into light. Okay, God, what's your will for my, my life? My will for your life is for you to be like me. And when you're like me, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be full of joy. You're going to have the best possible 
life that you can have in this fallen world. It's going to look as close to heaven as you can get as you submit yourself to me and you live in my will. Amen? Did y'all get something out of that? Amen. Stand with me. We'll pray together and then we'll dismiss. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, God, for what you've done. And Lord, as we are going through this series and we're reading Ephesians and 1 John in our devotional times, God, let your word come alive to us. And God, help us to be people who are doers of your word, not merely hearers. But God, we actually are bearing the fruit that you're looking for in our lives. Lord, help us recognize when you're pruning us as we face problems and obstacles and difficulties. Help us to see those as opportunities to be pruned. Not necessarily problems to avoid and root out of our life, but ways in which you help perfect the masterpiece that you are making out of our lives. God, we love you. Go before us this week. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.